You're listening to another New Hope Chapel podcast. Hi, this is Justin Hibbard, pastor of New Hope Chapel. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. I pray that God uses this message to touch your heart. Well, let's turn our attention to God's word, if we would. We're, we're talking about living in light of heaven. And we're studying Philippians. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3 says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, Pharisee as for zeal, persecuting the church as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press forward on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I want to begin by looking at this first part of scripture and kind of looking at the context here, because the context is this clash between Jews and Gentiles. And this is not something back then. This is something that continues to happen today. Some number of years ago, we had a a husband and wife attend this church, wonderful um, couple. And on Saturdays, they would attend a Messianic church, and on Sundays would attend here. And over the course of time, they just decided that two church services that are kind of split distance-wise apart was a little bit much, and they wanted to just go to one church. And so they decided, I kind of, you know, decided that they were going to attend here on Sundays. And they told their friends about this, and they were telling me about this. And they they told their friends, you know, we're just we're going to go ahead and go to New Hope Chapel on Sundays from now on. And and she said, her friend said to her, "What could you possibly want to do with those Gentiles?" And I thought, really, like that? People still say stuff like that, but. I wanted you to know that this tension between Jewish and Gentile believers is something that's deeply rooted, deeply, deeply rooted. In fact, 
there was, um, I, as many of you know, I work for a company and the headquarters are out in Salt Lake City. And so I was there this last time. They flew out all the employees from all over the world um, to the company kickoff. And so I was there having dinner one night with an Australian group because I started the same time one of my buddies did who, who's from Australia. And so we're talking, and somehow the idea of Jews for Jesus came up. And one of the guys sitting there is from Australia. He's a Jewish, Jewish fellow. And he said, um, and, and so they were talking, that one guy's kind of agnostic, the other guy's um, Jewish. And, and they said, yeah, did you hear that the Jews for, Je- uh, Jews for Jesus um, sign was defaced. And this Jewish fellow said, good, I'm glad. I can't stand those people. And so I kind of chimed in like, well, tell me about it. You know, tell me what you, what you think. I'm like, why is it that you can't stand these people? And this is what he said. He said, for all of our life, for all of my people's lives, our identity has been threatened. The Crusades, the Nazis, the current, um, st- um, the current situation in the Middle East. He said, they're always threatening our lives. So for these Christians to come and tell us to get rid of our Jewish identity is wrong. Now, all of us probably know that's not what Jews, Jews for Jesus are doing, but that doesn't matter. That's his perception of Christian evangelism to the Jewish people. And, and I said to him, I said, you know, I kind of take a different approach at that. I I say that understanding the Jewish roots of Christianity is so enriching to us as believers because our faith has a context, and that that context is Judaism. And he kind of reached over and shook my hand and said, I have never heard that before, and I'm so grateful that that is something that, you know, that's the the approach you take. But the situation of uh, understanding where this conflict between Jews and Gentiles began has deep roots all the way into the beginning of the church. For the first 10 chapters of the book of Acts, it's only dealing with Jewish believers. There is no such thing as Gentile believers, at least that we know of based on scripture. It's all about the Jewish converts until the situation where Peter is called to Cornelius' house. Cornelius is a Gentile God-fearing man who has heard about the Messiah and wants Peter to come and preach the gospel, tell him about what the Messiah has done. In fact, Christianity was not called Christianity. It was called Adarlech, which means the way. It was Hebrew word, the way. And Peter goes in there and begins to preach the gospel about how Jesus, Yeshua, is the fulfillment of, of all of the law and the prophets. And then something amazing happens. Cornelius and his family believe. They receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter's sort of stunned by this. He was not expecting this. And he says, well, if they've received the Holy Spirit, why should they not be baptized? And so he baptizes them. And in chapter 11, we read that Peter is summoned to the elders to tell them why he went into a Gentile's home. Because that's an unkosher thing to do for a Jew to go into a Gentile's home. And Peter says this in Acts chapter eleven seventeen. He says, so if God gave them the same gift he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? And check out the response by the elders. They said, when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then even Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. This was the aha moment of scripture, the moment where the Jews, the the Jewish apostles, these disciples who had spent so much time with Jesus, suddenly get it. 
Salvation also is for Gentiles as it is for Jews. That Jesus wasn't just the way for the Jews, but also for the Greeks. But in Acts chapter 15, it says this. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. And then check out this next part. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees. So now we've got Pharisees, Pharisees, scholars of the law, people probably like Nicodemus and some of the others who now had believed in Jesus as well, but who were still very much Jewish. They said that Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. I mean, you could kind of sympathize with this. The Jews were, the, the law was everything to the Jews. The, the customs and everything, this was part of their life. And, and Jesus made this natural bridge, and he was this natural fulfillment. So for them, you know, understanding Jesus outside of the context of Judaism was sort of archaic. Everything just fit together like a nice puzzle. But then you have these Gentiles who have no understanding of Judaism, no understanding of the law or the prophets, all of a sudden accepting Jesus because he's their savior. He's their life. He answers the questions for them in their own particular context and culture. And now you have the Jewish people saying, well, well you're missing a big part of this. You're, you need to understand this, and then you can fully more understand what you're doing. So this caused quite a stir, and it caused the first council of Jerusalem to get together. The elders got together to discuss, should the Gentiles really be circumcised? Should they follow the Jewish law in order to be accepted as part of this community? And the answer was no. In fact, they give them three things, three or four things that they should abstain from. Abstain from food sacrifice to idols and abstain from sexual morality and abstain from uh, eating of the blood of animals. So I, painting this context, there is this, this contention that happens. And by the way, this contention, this tension continues and it swings the other way. So by, the, by I think around 300s AD, the church, which was primarily now made up of uh, Gentiles, from Rome, not from Jerusalem, Jews from Jerusalem. The church had swung to Rome and, and they had created edicts that forbade the Jews from practicing their customs. So whereas the early church made up of Jewish people were very gentle and kind and merciful to the Gentiles, by the time of the 300s, it had swung the other way with the Gentiles saying, absolutely, there should be no Jews meeting on the Sabbath but rather they should change their day of worship to Sunday. So this is a, a big, complicated issue that has been going on for a long time. And Paul deals with it a lot. In Romans chapter 10, uh, verse 12, he says, For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. In Galatians 3, he writes, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In Colossians 3.11, he says, here, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, for Christ is all and is in all. So in Philippians 3, he's dealing with this notion of circumcision. This, this deal that many of the Jewish people were making, Jewish believers were making of it, he says, for it is we, 
who are the circumcision. Well, what does he mean by we? Who is the collective we? Well, if we, we read about this in Romans 2. In Romans 2, verse 25, he says, circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. So those of you who are focusing on one aspect of the law, one small minute detail of the law, what good is it if you break any other part of the law? So then, if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, they will not be regarded as though they were circumcised. So if this guy over here is obeying all the, all the other laws better than you, but he's uncircumcised, what, I mean, do you see the contradiction here? The one who is not, un, who is not circumcised physically and yet o- obeys the law will condemn you, who even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. You see what he's saying here? So a person is not a Jew who is, not, who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. So Paul takes a whole different approach and talks about not circumcision of the flesh, but rather he says, no, a person who is a Jew who is one inwardly. And circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a per- person's praise is not from other people, but from God. So then Paul gets into this conversation about if anyone has a right to boast about their flesh, he says, I have more. So you want to talk about the flesh? You want to talk about how good you, how good you are at obeying the law? Well, let's have a little contest, Paul says, because I grew up as a Jew. I grew up in Israel. I grew up in the house of Israel. How many of you have Jew- two Jewish parents? No? No? Oh, well, that makes me better than you. How many of you know what tribe you're from? I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. How many of you even know that? How about the law? How many of you know the law? Well, Paul knew the law. He was a Pharisee. And to be a Pharisee, you had to go through some extensive, extensive, extensive schooling. So Paul says, I knew the law so well. I obeyed the law faultlessly. As far as my zeal for the law, for the Jewish people, oh, I was zealous. I was so zealous that I began the persecution of the way of Christianity. Paul was there when Stephen was stoned. In fact, Paul was so zealous that he gets permission from the Sanhedrin to get a warrant to travel 150 miles north to Damascus to persecute the church. Imagine that, 150 miles, he goes way out of his way to go grab people and drag them back to Jerusalem to persecute them. That's how zealous Paul was. And it was there that Paul was blinded that he was knocked off of his high horse, so to speak, and God got his attention. And it's here that Paul tells us the dramatic change. But whatever were gains, whatever were gains to me, he says, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. So all those things that I was, the great Pharisee that I was, the leader among the Pharisees when it came to persecuting this new movement, That's all nothing. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Paul was going to be the man. Paul could have been way up there as a Pharisee, and he gave it all because of what Jesus did in his life. Many of you may know this guy, Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson started Prison Fellowship Ministries. And Chuck Colson dedicated his life to that. He passed away a few years ago. But, but his role was, was going into prisons 
and preaching the gospel and handing out Bibles and ministering to these people in prison. Well, how did Chuck Colson get to prison? How did this become a passion for him? Well, Chuck Colson spent time in prison. And the reason why he spent time in prison was because he was Richard Nixon's right-hand man. In fact, he was not only Richard Nixon's right-hand man, he was considered the hatchet man. He would do the things Richard Nixon thought were pretty dirty. That's how bad this guy was. He, he would get involved in, and do some awful things, and his, his in, um, involvement with Watergate landed him behind bars. And it's there that Jesus saved his life, and it's there that he devoted his life to ministry. Um, it used to be that, I don't know if it still is, a pris- uh, prison fellowship ministries would do sort of a, a two-minute spiel on the radio every day, kind of sort of like a podcast or a, um, a little devotional type of thing. And out of all the ones I can remember hearing, I never heard Chuck Colson ever talk about his role at the White House. You know, you think about this guy who's way up there. I mean, a lot of people would want to know, well, Chuck, tell us about what it was like to be in the White House. Tell what it was like to be at the center of power. What did Chuck Colson want to talk about? He wanted to talk about prison. Prison was on his heart. He wanted to talk about ministering to the people behind bars, not what was happening with the elite. God changed his heart and changed his perspective. And think about Paul. For Paul to say these things, for Paul to get to a point where he says, why are people caring so much about circumcision? I mean, Paul has gone through quite a dramatic change in his life, isn't he? The second week of our sermon series, Bill talked about uh, a passage in Philippians 1, verses 15 through 18. He says, Um, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for for me while I'm in chains, chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because this, I rejoice. And a lot of people, that rubs them the wrong way, that passage, this idea, why does it matter? What does it matter that they're preaching out of false motives? Well, as Bill said it, he said that Paul isn't saying that it doesn't matter, but Paul has been through some dramatic stuff. He's been shipwrecked. He's been beaten. He's had, even Christians have tried to kill him because they thought he was, he was a spy, thought he was trying to infiltrate and, and persecute the church further. He has been, he's been bitten by a snake. He's been put in prison. And now he's living in house arrest. And so you think about all of those things, all of those crises that he's experienced. And Paul's probably like, I just don't care about that little stuff anymore. Not that it doesn't matter. But he's like, I'm not going to spend my time arguing over this, that, and the other. And you think about all of the ways in which he has changed because of what God has brought him through. I think about this in a similar way, sort of. Um, I was, as many of you know who follow me on Facebook, I was flying to Boston a, a few weeks ago, and it was a really cold and windy day. And if you've ever flown into Logan, you know that you, you, there's water, and then there's the runway, right? There's not a lot of room for air. And as we're flying, we fly way out over the water, and you could see these beautiful little lighthouses in the water, but they were caked with ice, and it just looked like just a bitter, bitter, bitter cold day. And I'm thinking to myself, 
as long as we don't do like one of those New York landings, you know, where we went into the water, I was like, I could go without that for, for now. So as we're coming into an approach, I mean, you feel the plane kind of shaking because of the wind. And we're coming in, and we must be maybe 50 to 100 feet off the ground. And all of a sudden, the, the pilot tilts the plane hard to the left, and then hard again to the right. And everyone's like, what's going on? And, and then he, and he kind of sort of straightens out, and then he hits the accelerator and takes off again. And I thought, this is it. This is, this is, the, you know, this is, this is it. I'm, I'm done. And I, I didn't know if it was because of the wind. I didn't know if it was because maybe the landing gear was broken or, or what was happening. I was just kind of panicked. And there were people like turning white. And I mean, it was just this really scary moment. And, he, and as we're kind of taking back off, the plane's jostling because of the wind and everything. And everyone's like, um, what's going on? And my thing, when I, whenever I get in kind of like um, these kind of panicky situations, I just kind of make jokes about it. Like, well, that was fun. You know, let's do this again. You know, we're just kind of flying around. And I, and the, but I'm thinking to myself, there's just so many thoughts kind of spinning through my head. As we're, and the pilot took like a good 10 minutes before he came on to explain what was going on. And he, um, and and I just thought about all of the things in my life, and I and I'll tell you what I wasn't thinking about. I wasn't thinking about my job. I wasn't thinking about, hey, I'm going to miss this conference because my plane just crashed. I wasn't thinking about that. <laughs> I was thinking, I was thinking, oh my goodness, what's my wife going to do? What, how, like, what about my kids? What? I just told them a couple of hours ago that I would be back in a couple of days. I was thinking about those things. All this other stuff didn't matter. It really didn't matter anymore. And I think that somehow that's what God does in our life. Sometimes he uses those crises in our life to get our attention. God often uses change. I've said this before. God often uses change as a catalyst for maturity. And he often uses crises as the catalyst for change. Not all the time, but sometimes to get us to rethink our perspective, and change our mind about things. A couple of weeks ago, I had a, I had a friend, an old high school friend, whose mother passed away from uh, cancer. And she was reflecting on Facebook. She said, my mom, my mom uh, gave up her career to stay at home with uh, me and my sister. And she had a daycare instead because she wanted to spend as much time at home. And she said, these past uh, months, these past couple of hard years, and, and having my mom pass away made me realize that family is so important. So she said, I'm quitting my job, and I'm staying at home with them, and I am going into, you know, like Mary Kay type of uh, business so that I can be uh, there for my kids. And I thought, wow, what a, what a dramatic change that was brought on by this crisis in her life. And sometimes that's that's what happens. I think there are a lot of people, a lot of new parents, a lot of first-time parents, or anyone who, who have had kids. You know, you think about having kids and you're like, no, no, not now. No, because I have it so good. Like, I have this freedom and I see my other friends and they, you know, there's all this nap time and diaper time and all this stuff. And I, I, have, this per, I have this sense of life uh, and the sense of, I can do anything at any time, whenever I want. 
I don't want to give that up. Or maybe this kind of idea that I'm not ready to be a father or a mother. I, I'm not physically ready. I'm not emotionally ready. I'm not spiritually ready. I'm not financially ready. As if we knew when we would be that or if we would ever be that, right? And then you have a child and everything just changes. Suddenly, all those things don't really matter anymore. Suddenly, you're brought into this world where everything is about that child and you're okay with it. That's okay. Right, Warren? That's okay. (laughs) Where you think, you know what? I had a very different life before, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. I wouldn't trade it for the world. And sometimes those things happen quite naturally. Or should we say supernaturally, perhaps. There's a, uh, and I think about Paul here and how much he has changed this guy who, who's probably gone through a lot of change. And he says, but whatever regains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage now that I may gain Christ and be found in him and have a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. How many of us can say, honestly, I want to know Christ and participate in his sufferings? I think that scares a lot of people. I think we, if we were honest with ourselves, we might say, I don't know that I'm ready for that, to participate in the sufferings. But I think there's something, this is not a message to say, you need to be there, or you need to pray, yes, Jesus, make me want to participate in your sufferings. But rather, this is an encouragement that as we spend time with Jesus, those things that are on his heart become our heart, to the point that we say, I'm just not interested in that lifestyle anymore. I'm just not interested in that. You know, these people who we, we see kind of living kind of an ungodly life, we can say to them, hey, you need to change your behavior, but changing your behavior, that's not going to do anything. You say to them, Let me, let's love God together. The more we love God, those, the things of that life are just going to disappear. We're just not going to want that anymore. One of the things that I experienced recently, you know, my wife, Carlene, for a long time has been saying, you know, we should get rid of cable. It's such a waste of money, and there's nothing on. She's right, there's nothing on usually, except for sports. (laughs) Sports are on, right? So I was like, so you know me, I I like sports, and I used to like the news too, and I'd watch watch sports a lot, and I'd watch the news, and I... I let the news, you know, I like turn on this news channel and watch that and get, I get all riled up about the news. And I was, um, and, and in December I went to Ransom Heart Retreat. And it's just a wonderful time of just spending time with the Lord and hearing him. And one of the things that he said to me was like, you know, you let a lot of things steal your joy. A lot of things that are out of your control steal your joy. Like the Orioles, man. They steal my joy. They've been stealing my joy for most of my life. 
And, and, or the news, like you watch these politi- politicians go back and forth and they're just so obnoxious. And you're just like, do something together. And they just don't. And, and there's nothing I can do about it. But I'd get all riled up about it. And I'd let it steal my joy. Or someone on Facebook says something and I'd, get, you know, I'd start getting into it with them. And I'd just let it steal my joy. And God's like, stop. You know, like, don't let it steal your joy. Like, you, your joy is worth way more than whether or not the Ravens win the Super Bowl or the Caps finally make to the Stanley Cup or whatever. And so I came home from that weekend, and I, I, it wasn't this big conversation or this big aha moment, but I just noticed something different about myself. And I said to her, I was like, I was like you know, if you want to get rid of cable, we can. She's like, Really? You know, I was like, yeah, I, I just, I don't have that desire anymore. Like, I just, I don't, I don't, I don't really care anymore. I don't care as much. I mean, I still like sports. I'll still go to games. I still have, um, so I, I still enjoy it, but I, not at that level that I did before. And it's not a behavioral ch- change or any. It's not like I had to like go to counseling and go to, you know, do like AA for sports or anything like that. <laughs> or for, you know, for these things. But it was just like God took away that desire of my heart. And so it's no longer this consuming thing that steals my joy, sort of protects my heart. And so that's what I want to encourage you with. The, the lesson that we, you know, we talk about living in light of heaven. We live in light of heaven when we live with this heavenly mindset, when we just love God, when we love him, when we let him and give him permission and, and, and not just say, look, uh, God, I, I, I want to participate with you in your sufferings, you know, but say, God, I, I want to be at a place where if you had me suffer, I'd be okay with that. And in and, and, and a place where, okay, God, whatever you have for me, I'm willing, I, I want your life, and I want more than just your life, I want your heart. I want your heart because I know that if I have your heart, then no matter what I'm dealing with at that moment, I will be content with. I will be at a place that says, okay, God, that's where I want to be. And, and I trade it all. I trade it all. I want to be at that place where I trade it all again for the life that you have for me. Let's pray together. Jesus, we come to you and are just so thankful for the life um, that you offer us. We're thankful for um, this notion that we can trade our life for yours. And for some of us, that's just really scary. We're just not at that place. And so, Jesus, today we, we come to you and we ask, God, that we would have your heart. We're just here to love you, and we're here to experience your love. We are here to experience what it's like being a child of God all of the joy and all of the peace and all of the goodness that you promise us, the love that you have, the identity that you have for us, we want to embrace that. God, it's not about forcing us to, um, it's not about forcing us to, to, to pretend that we're at a place where we're not, but simply to say, Jesus, I want to love you and I love you and I want to embrace your love. I want to embrace your love, and when I embrace your love, I know that I'm going to embrace your life. And when I embrace your life and I embrace your love, then I'm going to have a heart that says, yes, Jesus, I'm okay. I am content with what you have for me. So Jesus, I pray that this would be my attitude 
and that this would be the attitude of each person in this room, that we would be a people who love you, who are not afraid to say yes to you, not out of compulsion, but out of knowing that your life is worth way more than our own. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for Paul and this attitude that we see. Thank you for these saints that have gone before us who have lived lives that sometimes we just think are terrible, but yet have seen this amazing attitude and have heard them say time and time again, I trade it all again in a second. We love you, Jesus. Help us, if we need to, to be uncomfortable. To be uncomfortable, to be driven to a place where you have us, because in your will, there is no better place than in your will. We love you, Jesus. Pray these things in your name. Thank you for listening to New Hope Chapel's podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a small expression of the much larger body of Christ that spans across the world. We're a group of believers helping each other on our lifelong journeys to become like Jesus. While we have a variety of distinctives that make us a unique church, our main desire is to be God's church, to love Him, follow Him, to learn from Him, to let Him lead us and change our lives. We are His disciples, and He is our rabbi. Join us in the story that God is writing called New Hope Chapel. To learn more about our church, visit us at newhopechapel.org or check us out on Facebook slash newhopechapelmd. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and iTunes. Music kindly provided by the least of these. Thanks again for listening and God bless.